This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Hey, I'm really excited about Vision Sunday today and uh, really excited to get into the Word, but just wanted to... um, Add my welcome to our Nardos, especially if you're new, if this is your first time with us, welcome. It's great that you could join us today. We love having new people. We hope that we're able to meet you personally, hope that you're able to get connected into the life of our church and get plugged into one of our gospel communities. And we know that some of you have already been doing that as you've joined us over the last few weeks. So welcome. It's great that uh, that you've decided to be a part of our church family and um, we're stoked that you're here. I'm, uh, I'm really expectant this morning of what God is going to do, not because uh, I'm super well prepared, or, but because God is powerful and His Spirit is powerful. And um, as His Word is proclaimed, it is like a hammer that smashes rock to pieces. It's like a sword that judges the thoughts and attitude of our hearts. It's like the seed that is sown that produces a bountiful crop. And so I'm expectant that God wants to work this morning. And I'm actually going to ask you to respond in a really practical way. So if you don't have a pen or a pencil on your seat, you just need to put your hand up. I'm going to ask our Connect team to come around because during or at the end of this message, I want you to write something down on that sheet. I want you to think about how you're going to buy into this vision for the next six months. And I want you to think about the people that you would like to invite to encounter Jesus. And so it's important that you got a pen. So if you don't have one, just, just put your hand up. And now Matt's going to come around and bring you a pen. Um, we, we really love you to have a pen so you can respond in a really practical way this morning. At the end, we're going to pray for every single name and every single intention, every single desire that is written on that sheet and believe that God will use those things to glorify His name this year. This, uh, this vision talk is um, maybe a little different from the way we've done in the past. I'm actually just going to cast vision for the next, next six months rather than the whole year. And then halfway through this year, we're going to shift our focus a little bit and we're going to have another vision catch-up in June, July, sometime like that, uh, and, and think about the, the second half of this year. But So this is really going to focus on what lies ahead of us for the first six months of this year. Has everyone got a pen? Everyone got a pen that didn't have one? It'd be great. You should also have a little card on there that says Vision Sunday. You can swipe one from a chair that's next to you if you don't have one. Good. All right, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that God would speak to us this morning, wherever you're at. I'm going to pray that God would speak powerfully. So I hope that you've come ready to listen to what God has to say and to respond. And what Jesus says in his word in James 2, do not simply be doers of the hearers of the word, but doers of the word. My prayer is this morning that we would hear this and not just let it sink in, not just let it hit the surface, but let it sink in and we'd actually live this out. Because I believe if we live this out, we will see our city radically transformed by the gospel. So let me, let me pray. Father God, we thank you that you're good. We thank you, God, that you're a God who loves your people, who has a passion for the glory of your name. And God, I pray this morning that you would stir in us a deep desire to align our lives with what makes your heart beat, with your vision for your glory to cover this world. God, I pray that you'd help us to be sensitive to the promptings of your spirit this morning as we think 
personally, individually, about how we may respond practically. God, I pray that you would bring people's names to mind through the course of this sermon. People that we want to come and experience and encounter Jesus. God, I pray that today would set a course and trajectory for the next six months, that you would be pleased to work in and through us because you have called us. We are your strategy to see disciples made and to see this world change. So God, we come humbly this morning. Ask that you would speak. Ask that you would do your thing. Ask that you would transform us. We pray expectantly in the powerful name of Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen, amen, amen. Well, on the screen behind me is a picture of a couple of friends of mine. I was there, but Joel had to cut me out. I'm I'm hiding behind the drums, thankfully. So the two guys that you can see uh, on my right, your left, are my two youth group leaders, Nick Ives and Chris Eakins, or Noddy and Mr. Gestapo, as we used to call them. And um, these are some of the most influential men in my faith journey, in my walk. As a young man, these two guys took an interest in me and they shared Jesus with me and they led me to faith in Jesus and they prayed a prayer of salvation with me. And then Nick, the one here on the furthest side, used to drive from Hawkesbury Uni every single week all the way to West Penno and pick me up and drop me at his house in Cherrybrook and do Bible study with me and then drop me home and then drive all the way back to Hawkesbury again for years. I still remember sitting around his parents' lounge room table as we would read a Bible story together and then unpack it. And then at the end of it, he would tell us to draw the story out. And I kept all these intricate drawings of how God had spoken to us and the things I'd learned. I still remember going on a youth conference called Kick that I have the privilege of preaching at later this year, where the four, the, these two guys and another friend of mine all made a commitment together to, to live completely sold out for Jesus. These two guys, God has powerfully used in my life to bring me to Jesus. Not long after that, I started leading at youth group because they both led at youth group. I decided I would grow my hair long because they both had long hair. I decided that I would get into Star Wars because Chris and Nick were both into Star Wars. I decided I'd start listening to Death Metal because they were in a band called Pungent Stench and then a band called Persecution and a band called Evisceration. And so I decided I would listen to Death Metal because they listened to Death Metal. That's called discipleship. A few years later, I decided I wanted to be a youth leader and a youth pastor because Chris became a youth pastor. And I started leading youth ministry in 1998 at St. Matt's West Penno. And along came a fresh-faced young little year seven boy called Benny Hodgkinson. Benny came with a group of mates of his from his high school, Penno High, and started attending our youth ministry And I led Ben from year 7 to year 12 as he journeyed and explored who Jesus was and eventually gave his life to Christ, became a Christian, and saw a number of his close mates come to faith as well. Six years later, I passed the mantle of leadership on to Ben and he began to lead in that same youth ministry and lead a group of guys 
from year seven to year 12, invested in them, loved them, led them to Jesus, preached the gospel to them, showed them the scriptures, gave them a love for Christ. It's discipleship. May not have looked the same. I don't think Ben ever tried to dress or look like me. We had far more class than that. Is Benny here this morning? He's not here. That's a shame. But that's discipleship. Disciples making disciples, making disciples, making disciples, making disciples. Who was it for you? Who was it for you that brought you to Jesus? Perhaps it was a parent, a mom or a dad. Perhaps it was a youth worker or a children's worker, maybe a scripture teacher, maybe a grandparent, maybe a friend, maybe a neighbor. But chances are every single person in this room had someone who brought them to Jesus. I'm willing to bet that there's virtually no one in this room who hasn't had an individual or a number of individuals who have been instrumental in them coming to faith in Jesus. It's called discipleship. Disciples making disciples making disciples. And the reason is that that is, for most of you, your story is because God's ordinary means of ushering in his kingdom, God's ordinary means of changing the world, God's ordinary means of making disciples is to send a person who has encountered Jesus to call someone else to follow Jesus. The reason is, is that God's power of salvation, the transforming news of Jesus is a message. And in a miracle of divine human partnership, God calls us to be his messengers, to take that message and to share that message, to bring others to encounter the grace and love and forgiveness of God. It's called discipleship, disciples making disciples making disciples. And that is our vision at Anchor Church. That's what we're about. That is our purpose. That disciples would make disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples. A couple of years ago, we launched our five-year vision. If you were here, you might remember it. If you don't, maybe jump on YouTube and search for Anchor Church Sydney Vision Multiply. It's a vision to see multiplication happen across every level of our church. Disciples making disciples. Gospel communities multiplying gospel communities. We've just seen that. We're going to have the joy of commissioning new GCs in a few weeks' time. And finally, churches planting churches. Multiplication happening across every level of the life of our church. I don't know if you realize that, but those three steps are kind of connected. Our ideal hope, our dream would be that disciples are made And as disciples are made, new disciples of Jesus join a gospel community. Gospel communities grow as they grow because new disciples are joining those gospel communities multiply. And as those gospel communities multiply in certain areas of Sydney, we plant new churches. That would be our ideal. That would be our dream, our hope. And that type of vision is expansive. That type of vision, a vision of multiplication is the type of vision that can radically transform a city. That has the potential to expand and explode like a virus, like a virus that multiplies infinitely inside our bodies and makes us sick and gives us a fever, only in a kind of good sense. Gospel communities and disciples multiplying and scattering across our 
city. It's a vision that's not actually new. It's actually the same vision that Jesus gave to his disciples on the mountaintop in Matthew 28, where he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, I tell you, go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very ends of the age. It's not a new vision. It's not a new commission. It's, in fact, an ancient one. It's the vision that the apostles in the early church lived by. It's the vision that the apostle Paul executed. Disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. I hope you realize that that's what we're on about here at Anchor. This isn't just about you know, a social club. This isn't just about a sense of community. This isn't just about a social justice need for our city. This isn't just about anything else. They're all peripheral to the core vision of making disciples of Jesus. That's why we exist. And instrumental to that vision are God's people, His church, you, me, everyday people in the context of everyday life, supernaturally empowered by the Spirit, making disciples of Jesus instrumental to God's vision is you, his church, our gospel communities. Because people who have encountered Jesus want other people to encounter Jesus too. People who have encountered Jesus want others to encounter Jesus too. I want to show you a few examples of that in Scripture. We're going to go to John chapter 1 this morning. So if you've got a Bible, open up. John chapter 1, this is Jesus calling his first disciples, his first followers. And I want you to see what happens as Jesus does that here as John records it for us. John chapter 1, verse 35. If you don't have a Bible, the verses will be on the screen behind me. You can follow along. The next day, again, John, that's John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour, 4 p.m. One, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, Kephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, 
Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. We need to see what happens here. As people encounter Jesus, they want other people to encounter him as well. The first is Andrew. Andrew and another disciple who we believe is John the disciple, not John the Baptist, are overhearing John the Baptist say about Jesus, look, the Lamb of God. And Andrew and John the disciple decide to follow Jesus. And in an awkward moment, they start following him. Jesus turns around and says, what do you want? And they're like, ah, where are you staying? We want to just come and see and hang out. And he invites them. And it seems that they've spent the night with Jesus. And in the process of that stay, Andrew and John the disciple have a powerful encounter and revelation of the identity of Jesus. Because he comes away, Andrew at least comes away and says, I found the Messiah. And it says the, the first thing he does the next morning, the first thing he does is he goes and he finds who? His brother, Simon. And he says to him, Simon, we have found the Messiah. And then in verse 42 it says, and he brought him to Jesus. He brought him to Jesus. You know, um, Judah, who's my son, who's five, has been playing this game on my iPad called Clash of Clans. He's very addicted to it. I must admit, I think I'm addicted to it as well. But he loves to just build armies and then go and attack villages and, and destroy them. And it's really fun. And, but what he's decided to do is translate the game to reality. And so he says to me, Daddy, can we be the characters in the game? And we fight. I'll be a strong man, you be a barbarian, and we fight. So we, we rumble. But the other thing he's decided to do is build battles. And so it's cars versus animals. And he gets all the animals and he gets all the cars and he turns cars into cannons and he, he builds this intricate battle. And then he comes to me and he says, Daddy, come and see what I've done. Come and see the battle I've built. And he explains to me all the cars and the cannons and the birds. And come and see. He wants me to step into his experience and see what he's built and enjoy it with him. That's exactly what Andrew is doing here with Simon, his brother. He's like, Simon, come and see. Come and see the one who I believe is the Messiah. Come and experience. And as he does so, as he brings Simon to Jesus, Simon has a powerful encounter with Jesus himself. It's kind of like Jesus was expecting Simon. Because as he arrives, Jesus says to him, you are Simon, son of John. I'm going to change your identity. I'm going to change your name. I'm going to give you a new name. Instead of Simon, you are going to be called Kephas, Kephas which in Aramaic means rock. And it's probably a nickname. And we get Jesus playing on that nickname in Matthew 16, where he says to Peter, you are, you are Peter, you are rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. You are rocky. And on this rock, I will build my church. And so Jesus it seems 
has a special calling for Peter. He knew him. He knew him before he came. Jesus had already decided in his heart to call Simon to give him a new identity, a new assignment, a special assignment in his kingdom. And as Peter encounters Jesus, he has a radical transformation. We know Peter's story. He's the the ambitious disciple, the one who speaks before he thinks, the one who's always getting himself in trouble. But he ends up being the leader of the early church, the spokesperson for God's people. And it's Andrew who leads his brother to Jesus. Why? Because Andrew doesn't want his brother to miss out. You see, Andrew and Peter are young Jewish men who for their whole lives have been hearing the stories of a Messiah who would come, who would set God's people free. And Andrew doesn't want Peter to miss out on the Messiah. And so when he finally finds the thing that he's been waiting for his whole life, he runs immediately at first and he grabs his brother and he says, Simon, come and see. Come. We've found the Messiah. We've found the one that we've been waiting for. Now, the same deal happens the next day as Philip does the exact same thing as Andrew does. Jesus comes, he's decided to go to Bethsaida, and he says to Philip, follow me. And Philip does. But before he does that, he runs off to find Nathanael because Philip himself, whatever's happened in that moment, Philip himself has experienced the identity of Jesus. And so he runs off and he grabs Nathanael and he says, Nathanael, we've found the one who Moses has spoken of in the law of the prophets, the Christ, the Messiah. We've found him. Come. But Nathanael is potentially slightly less willing to follow than Peter. Remember, Peter's the one who just dives into things. Nathanael, on the other hand, he's a bit more skeptical and he says, well, hang on a sec. Doesn't the Messiah come from Bethlehem? This is Jesus, son of Joseph, who was a Nazarite. He's a Nazarene. What good comes out of Nazareth? And there is this brilliant moment as Philip responds to that. He says, well, why don't you just come and see? Come. Let's go figure this out together. Come and experience this Jesus for yourself. Come and see. And there's an invitation for Nathaniel to come and Again, with Peter, as Nathaniel comes, he has this powerful encounter with Jesus. Jesus says to him, you're Philip. Sorry, he, doesn't say, he says you're Peter. He says, here is a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And in that moment, Nathaniel encounters Jesus. He says, how did you know me? And Jesus said, I saw you. Not just I saw you, I, I knew you. I knew who you were. I knew something about your character because I could say something about it. There is no deceit in him. You were standing under the fig tree. I saw you there. And Philip, and Nathaniel rather, has this encounter with Jesus that radically transforms him. He sees Jesus for who he is and he says, You are the Messiah. You are the King of Israel. His life is transformed. Both these pairs have found the very thing that they were looking for. They found the Messiah. They found the one 
in whom it was promised through the generations. One is coming who will rule my people. He will set my people free. And these four disciples, these four followers have found it in Jesus. And my question for us this morning is, have you found in Jesus the answer to the deepest questions of your soul? Have you found in Jesus forgiveness for your sins? Have you found in the mercy of God the grace that you need? If the answer is yes, then why not call others to come and experience that? Because the same thing that you were looking for is the very same thing that our city desperately needs. The grace of God, the love of God, forgiveness, mercy, restoration, healing and redemption. Yes, this is the one. This is the one that we've been waiting for. But sadly, so many in our culture have rejected a stereotype of Christianity that's not necessarily true. Many in our culture have rejected a Donald Trump version of Christianity. And what they desperately need is to come and see the real Jesus, to come and hear the real message of grace and forgiveness, not a stereotype version. Come, see, experience. You know the crazy thing about these two encounters, the thing that blew me away as I was reading this, this narrative, is that as Andrew and Philip bring Simon and Nathaniel to Jesus, Jesus already knew. He already knew. He had already chosen these two men to be his. He had already chosen these two guys to be his disciples, to play a significant part in his kingdom. And yet, He used Andrew and he used Philip to be his agents of an invitation to come and follow. Isn't that crazy? There is this crazy connection, this partnership between the divine and the human as Jesus would use people, disciples, followers to call other people to come and follow and experience and encounter Jesus. That's incredible. And that ought to fill us with confidence. That ought to fill us with confidence today because I believe that God still has people who are His in this city and He is going to use us, He's going to use you, He's going to use our church to be the agent of an invitation to come, to experience, to come and see, to come and examine the evidence, to come and encounter Jesus. Well, I want to give you a couple more examples of how that has happened. What about the story of the woman at the well in John chapter 4? As Jesus heads to Samaria, he sends his disciples into the city and he's waiting at the well and he encounters a woman there. And he says to the woman, can I have a drink? And there's this this encounter that this woman has with Jesus where he seems to be asking for her to meet some physical need, but he's really trying to seek to meet a deep spiritual need that he has and uses this image of water to explain it to her. And he says to her, if you knew who you were speaking to, you would ask me for a drink, for I will give you a drink of water that will never run out, that will always satisfy. And she encounters Jesus. He says to her, the thing that you've been searching for You've been looking for that in the wrong place. All of these men that you have been with, they've left you dissatisfied, 
I will show you one who will satisfy you. He radically transforms her life. And then in John chapter 4, verse 28, this is what happens. The disciples come back and the, women, and the woman left her water jar. So she's left in haste. Immediately she leaves. And she went away into the town, into Samaria, and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to Jesus. People who have encountered Jesus want others to encounter Jesus as well. I remember a story of a, um, when I was in year 12, year 11, end of year 11, I experienced the grace, mercy, and love of God for myself. Surrendered my life to Jesus as a 17-year-old in the car park of West Penno Anglican and went back to school at the beginning of year 12 with a fresh vision for my life. And I had a vision that every single person in my year group would come to faith in Jesus, all 200 and something of them. That was my burning passion. And so I decided I would start with a Bible study group. I found two of my best mates. I said to the youth pastor, I'm starting a Bible study group. I demand a leader right now. It's starting this week and I want a leader next week. So we started a Bible study and my two friends gave their life to Jesus. And then eventually two more friends came and joined that group, gave their life to Jesus. Halfway through that year or just before HSC trial exams, we had 60 people from my year attending church. Now, I'm not sure if it was genuine faith or the fear of the looming HSC that gave people this desire to want to attend church and cry out for divine help. But irrespective, I saw people come, hear the good news of Jesus. It's disciples making disciples making disciples. People, me, who has encountered the grace of God, wanting other people also to encounter that same grace. What about the, the man who had thousands of demons in him? Remember the man who's living amongst the tomb in the graveyard, tormented day and night, chained by the villagers, a threat to society, a threat to himself as he self-harms and cuts himself and then he has a powerful confrontation with Jesus as he comes to Jesus, the, the demons inside him recognize the identity of Jesus. They say, you are the son of God. Jesus silences them and he casts the demons out. They beg Jesus not to cast them out entirely, but to send them into the pigs. He does. The pigs run off the cliff, commit suicide. This man is set free. He's in his right mind. He's seated the village freaks out. They ask Jesus to leave because they cannot cope with this type of power. And the man who has been set free says this in Luke 8, verse 38. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. So effective was this man's telling of what Jesus had done for him. The next time Jesus returns, he has a very fruitful harvest in the Decapolis, in the ten cities, this region. Because people have been set free by Jesus. Want other people to be set free by Jesus. Well, what about the story of Paul? 
In Acts chapter 9, Paul is heading to Damascus to go and kill Christians. And he has a powerful encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Jesus reveals himself to Paul, to Saul, and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he cries out, who are you? And he says, I am Jesus. Jesus transforms Saul's life, gives him a new name. Paul commissions him to go and be a light to the Gentiles, to the nations. And it says in Acts 9.20 that immediately after a couple of days of, of healing up because he was blinded, after that it says immediately Paul got up and began to teach in the synagogue, proclaiming that Jesus was the Christ. Why? Because people who've experienced the grace of God want other people to experience the grace of God. Disciples making disciples. Followers of Jesus calling other people to follow Jesus. You know, I'm reminded of a story uh, many years ago. I used to run youth camps for teenagers across Sydney two, two times a year, January and July. And on one particular camp, uh, a young kid from the back of Mount Druitt called Josh came on this camp and he experienced the grace of God for the first time in his life. And he started attending our youth ministry out at Rudy Hill. And so overjoyed was he with this newfound faith that he had that he invited his three younger sisters to our youth group. And one of those sisters was Izzy Viglioni, Ethan and Izzy. That was his younger sister. He invited his sisters to church. They gave their life to Jesus. He invited his mum to church. She gave her life to Jesus. His mum invited her mum to church. Josh's grandma, she came to church, gave her life to Jesus. But why? Because people who encountered the grace, the love, the forgiveness, the healing, the redemption of Jesus want others to experience that same grace, love, mercy, and forgiveness. It's God's strategy for changing the world. One person at a time. One encounter at a time. A follower of Jesus calling other people to come and to see, to experience for some of you, that's going to be your neighbor, your workmate, your colleague, your friend, your family member. For some of you, that's just going to be a simple invitation to come and see. For others, perhaps God has a special call on your life that you will call multitudes of people to come and to see, to experience the grace of God. But for all of us, the pattern is the same. We experience God's grace. We call others to experience God's grace. A disciple of Jesus making disciples of Jesus. It's funny, isn't it? It sounds almost too simple. It sounds a little mundane and boring, to be honest. But that is God's strategy. The church is God's primary mission strategy for the world. That we would make disciples of Jesus in the power of the Spirit, with the authority of Jesus, to call people to come and to see. Now you notice I haven't said to change people, to move people from death to life. That's not our job. Our job isn't to take a dead heart and to make it alive. That's God's job. Our job is to be the hands and feet of Jesus and to call people to come and experience Him. He will do that work. 
Andrew wasn't responsible for Peter's conversion. Jesus was. Philip wasn't responsible for Nathaniel's conversion. Jesus was. Jesus transformed the demoniac. Jesus transformed Paul. Jesus will transform your friend, your neighbor, your colleague. We simply call people, come, come and see. Come and experience yourself. Come and examine the evidence for yourself. Come and see. You know, maybe you're here this morning and you have never encountered the grace of God for yourself. That's not been your experience. Then can I just tell you this morning that Jesus calls people to follow him because he's worthy of being followed. He is the king of the universe. He is the one who spoke this universe into existence. He is the one who sustains life in this universe every day. He is the one who has given you life. And yet every single one of us, every single one of us has rejected Jesus' lordship, his rule, his rightful place. Every single one of us has failed to give Jesus the worship that he deserves. And we've all chosen to worship other things probably ourselves. And when John the Baptist calls out Jesus to those two disciples who are watching, he says something. He says, look, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That is an image, a metaphor of who Jesus is. And the metaphor is one of a sacrifice that took place, that at the center of Israel's worship, was this moment where the high priest would come and lay his hands on the head of an innocent, pure, spotless animal, a lamb. And he would transfer the sins of the people onto that lamb and that lamb would have its throat slit and its blood shed as a sacrifice on behalf of the people. And what John is saying is that this Jesus is the sacrifice He is the lamb. He is the one who will die and have his blood shed on behalf of your sin so that you could be forgiven and set free. And when Jesus calls followers to himself, he says, come. Come and trust that what I've done is sufficient to forgive you for your sin. I will restore you to relationship with God. I will give you what you've been looking for all along a sense of meaning, purpose, significance, a relationship with your creator. Come. And when Jesus issues that call, he says, come and follow me. Die to yourself. Start living for me. Take up your cross. Follow me. If you've never done that, today is a good day to begin to follow Jesus. Our hope at Anchor Church is that every single person who walks through these doors would encounter the grace, the mercy, forgiveness, the love of God in Jesus. If that's you, we want to journey with you. We want to invite you to come and to see, to experience this God, to experience His grace. You know, for many of you, maybe you feel a sense of, well, maybe that was me a long time ago. Maybe that was me when I first became a Christian. I was so fired up. I was so passionate. I was so zealous. But now it just doesn't feel the same anymore. We feel a gap. Why is that? 
Maybe for some of you, it's actually been so long that you personally experienced the transforming power of the gospel in your life that you've forgotten what it was like. Now, I say to you, the power of the gospel is as true for you today as it was the day you first gave your life to Jesus. You need that good news today. You can experience that transformation today. As we begin to appropriate the good news for our lives, to see that Jesus is still relevant, to see that the sins that I've committed this week, He has paid for, that He wants to transform me. If we would stop living with this idea that, yeah, Jesus saves me, I'm in by grace, but I stay in by my good works, my effort. We need to experience the love of God again afresh. Well, perhaps you've just been walking in outright disobedience. There is unrepentant sin in your life. You've got really good at ignoring the conviction of the Spirit over that sin. Your heart has actually become calloused and hard. I want to say to you, there is grace. It's not too late. You're not too far gone. You cannot outsin the grace of God. Come, experience that grace again. The process for that is what the Bible calls repentance. It's to come and confess your sin and say, God, I have, I have wandered. I've walked away. I feel spiritually dry. Would you pour your spirit out again on a dry land and fill me? Would you restore to me the joy of my salvation? Would you soften this heart that has been callous towards you? Maybe you feel the gap because you're afraid. Your number one fear is not a fear of the Lord, but a fear of people. And so you don't issue the invitation to come and see because you are so afraid of the person in front of you, of what they think, of what they might say of you, of your reputation being defined by their opinion of you. The only healing there, the only restoration there is as we repent of fear of man and ask that God would replace that with the fear of him. Perhaps maybe you've been ashamed of our message that because our culture around us says that this thing you believe is foolish, it's dumb, in fact, it's offensive, that you've started to believe the lie of our culture. And today is the day to believe along with Paul that I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to salvation for every single person who believes. We all experience that gap, don't we? Today, let us come back to God and say, God, would you? I, I want to be your instrument of drawing people to you, but I can't do that unless I'm following you. I can't do that unless I'm surrendering my life to you today. Today is a fresh start for me, God, and I want to start that again. You know, I think that happened for me, not that I was walking away from Jesus, but I certainly had a crisis of call in 2016, not 2016, 2006. That would have just been, a, you know, two years ago. 2006 to 2008, I had a crisis of call. I had a crisis of what God wanted me to do with my life. And like Jonah, I decided to run as far as I could from the call of God in my life. I believe that God had called me to be a pastor and a preacher. 
and I was so disillusioned, so disenfranchised, so discouraged, I ended up dropping out of Bible college and pursuing a completely different life calling. And one of the things that God used to call me back, one of the things that was my moment in the belly of the fish was this book. It's called Out of the Black Shadows, written by a guy called Stephen Lungu. Anyone, anyone read this? Like three of you, four of you. This Seriously, this book is so good. Let me tell you a little bit of Steve, Stephen Lungu's story. In fact, I got the privilege of meeting him. This is a picture of me and Stephen a couple of years ago. There's my uh, you know, mid-2000s post-hardcore, post-punk haircut that was happening. Um, and he actually, when I got to meet him, I said to him, I read your book a number of years ago and it was the thing that God used to call me back to being a preacher and a pastor. I was so inspired by your story that I, I, I felt the fire return to be a preacher again. And he said to me, brother, that's so good. Would you come to my house in Africa? Let's go preach the gospel. And I was kind of like, is he serious? I think he was. Maybe one day. But let me tell you a little bit of Stephen's story. He uh, was abandoned by his mum at age six. I think his mum dumped him at the police station and uh, he was taken in by his aunt um, who really didn't want him around. And so he decided to run away, joined a street gang called the Black Shadows. And this street gang was seconded into what they called the Nationalist Youth League, which was a semi-terrorist organisation that went around trying to overthrow the government and overthrow the white man's religion and overthrow the white man's rule in their country. And on one particular day, his gang had been given an assignment to disrupt a Christian crusade that had happened in his town or was about to happen in his town. And so the Christians came and they set up this large tent in order to have a tent meeting that weekend. And Stephen and his gang had been instructed to go and take petrol bombs and destroy and disrupt this crusade that was happening. And he says that he went into the crusade and he sat at the back with his friends and each of them had little bags with little bombs of petrol inside of them. And he sat down and the preacher got up to preach. And as the preacher was preaching from the stage, Stephen fell under the conviction of the Spirit so much so that he said it felt like the preacher was preaching directly to him. That every time he pointed, Stephen would sit there and duck because he felt the preacher was preaching right to him and he would duck and his bombs would clink in the bag. His friends were looking at him thinking, what are you doing? Stop it. You're going to give away the cover. The preacher called people to respond and Stephen walked down the aisle to the dismay of his friends and knelt at the preacher's feet and gave his life to Jesus. They bombed the place. But Stephen didn't really care because he'd experienced this explosion in his heart of joy. He went and slept under the bridge where he slept every night. And the next day he woke up. He realized that that was the very first night he had never been alone because God had been with him. And so overjoyed was he. He didn't know really how to express this newfound joy that he went and he hugged a tree. And he said, God, if you were this tree... This is what I'd want to do with you because I love you so much. I wanted to hug you. And he said a couple of women walked past and then quickly disappeared through the bushes again. He had this conviction in his heart that he needed to go to the police station and turn himself in. He had a gun. He had a knife. He had a criminal record. And he had this new conviction that he needed to confess his sin in the eyes of the law and 
entrust his life to God and see what would happen. And so he decided to catch the bus into the city. He jumped on the bus. It was a Monday morning. And as he got on the bus, he saw the faces of the people in his city, all filled with dreary boredom and Monday-itis. And here is Stephen, full of the joy of the Lord. And he felt a conviction inside of him to tell people. And so he stood up in the bus. He said, excuse me, I have something to tell you. I found Jesus. And one person in the bus said, shush, it's Monday. We don't preach on Mondays. And the bus pulled up at the stop and the side doors opened and the person kicked him in the butt out of the bus and he fell on his face in the dirt and the bus drove off. He thought, well, that didn't go so well. He waited for the next bus. He got on the next bus. He thought, I've learnt my lesson. You don't preach on the bus on Mondays. And he stood there and this is what he says as he's standing on this second bus. I had such joy. They could have it too if only they knew I felt the exhilaration of my newfound faith begin to sweep over me again and the urge to tell them kept getting stronger and stronger. Eventually, he decided he would go and stand next to the bus driver who had a nice steel cage around him and couldn't quite reach around to grab him. So he had his back to the front door and everyone else in front of him and he decided he would just rather loudly tell the bus driver what had happened to him. So he said to the bus driver, excuse me, I have something to tell you in a very loud voice. He said, last night my life was changed. I found Jesus. And the whole bus began to murmur again. But this time he persevered. He told them his story. The bus had heard about the bombings at the crusade the night before. They were captivated. He began to see people in the bus respond to his message, some sobbing. The bus arrived at the city and all the people got off. And to Stephen's surprise, a small group of people came to him and said, how do we meet this Jesus? He didn't really know what to do. He'd never led anyone to the Lord before. But he decided simply to do what the preacher had done for him the night before. And so in the middle of this bustling city, as people were barging past them, he said, let's pray. They said, here? He said, yes, here. Get on your knees. Let's kneel. And they said, what? Right now, he said, if Jesus went to the cross for you, surely you can kneel right now. And he knelt down with these people and he prayed a few sentences and then ran out of words because he had never prayed before. But as he looked up, he saw tears in the eyes of the people and he realized that his simple request, Jesus, I met you last night. These people would like to meet you too. He did a simple introduction. They did meet Jesus. He realized he'd done his job and he walked away. Stephen Lungu went to the police station and walked to the front desk and said, I have been arrested. And the person at the desk looked past him and said, well, where are the police officers? And he said, the Lord Jesus arrested my heart. I have been arrested and I've come to confess my sin. And he laid his gun and his knife out on the table. He confessed his crimes. The chief deputy officer who was there that day interviewing, it was a long process. He had to confess a lot of what he had done. 
But at the end of it all, he came to him and he said, if Jesus, your Jesus has forgiven you, then we do as well. You're free to go. And as he was walking out, he said to him, Stephen, come back. And he said, here's some money. Go and buy a Bible. And he did that. An illiterate street kid went and bought a Bible and became one of the most powerful evangelists in all of Africa. He'd encountered the grace, the forgiveness of God so powerfully that that good news couldn't be contained in that young man. And it burst open and it overflowed. My prayer for this church is that we would experience the joy of the Lord afresh. That God would so pour His Spirit out on this church that we would experience again the good news of the gospel fresh for us today. Not 15 years ago, not the day you first came to faith in Jesus, today. That the zeal, the passion of the Spirit would return to us so that there would be an overflow that people would see, that our lives would so radically demonstrate that we believe this message, that as we invite people to come and see, they would say, of course, I must. This has to be real. It's my prayer that the mission that Jesus has given us of making disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples would happen one person at a time, one invitation at a time to come, to see, to experience. What I want you to do right now is to take that card and that pencil. I want to give you a moment to respond. I want to give, a, give you a moment to prayerfully consider what God is calling you to do. There's two fields on there where you can write some stuff down. One of those is, this is how I am personally going to live this vision out this year or something to that description. And the second one is, here are the people that God has put on my heart that I'm going to issue an invitation to come and see. We've got a number of opportunities for you to invite this first half of this year. We've got Dan Patterson from Ravi Zacharias Ministries coming in a few weeks' time. In fact, next Sunday. Not that far away. Dan is a powerful and gifted evangelist and he is going to be here for three events. The first two are opportunities for you to invite a friend to. Saturday night at the Hive Bar where Anchor First started, he's going to be addressing the topic, is it crazy to believe? And then is it going to, there's going to be opportunity for Q&A. Secondly, on Sunday morning, he's going to preach here in this service. And I can't remember quite what he's preaching on, but I know it's going to be good. And it's going to be an opportunity for you to invite a friend to that. We're introducing Jesus coming up in your gospel communities. What better place to invite someone to come and to see. Come and see what Christian community is like. Come and experience this Jesus that has transformed my life. Four weeks in the comfort of someone's home with a meal and friendship and a journey to discover Jesus. We've got Easter coming up. We've got a series in the middle of the year called Wayward. And I've got a vision that this series would call all of the prodigals, those who have wandered far from God to come back. That's my story. 
I'd love to see God use that powerfully later this year to call people who are walking away from Jesus for whatever reason to have an encounter with Jesus and come back to be reminded that God loves them. There are a number of opportunities you have this year to offer someone an invitation to come and to see and to write a name down, write a number of names down. Perhaps last week you did your five for five. You've got your names there already. Write those five names down. Put them on that card. You know, I've been thinking about what I'm going to do in response to this personally, not just tell you what you're going to do. And I, I felt conviction to invite a number of people from the cafe that I go to every morning to read and journal and pray. It's a number of friends that I've made there. I've also had a conviction to invite a young man from our, our unit complex um, who has a fascinating story and name that I've met who works at the bottle shop downstairs to just come and to see, to experience grace. What is it for you? Who is it for you that God wants you to offer an invitation to come and encounter and experience God's goodness and grace? As the band comes up, I want to lead us in a time of prayer and response that every name that's written down on that list and that every intention and the desire of the heart to be obedient to what Jesus has laid on our hearts this morning would come to fruition in our lives and in our church. And so what I would like us to do is, as a church family together, as a way of saying, yes, we believe this. This is our vision. This is what we want to see happen. And I want to play a part in that. I want, I want to invite you to hold that card up in the air. And I'm going to pray over every name and every desire and every tension that God, by the power of His Spirit, would help us to do exactly what we've written on that card. And so I want to invite us to pray and respond to the goodness and grace of God. We're going to do that in a couple of ways. We're going to sing, but we're going to respond in the Lord's Supper. We remember what Jesus has done for us. This is a moment to encounter God's grace again. Maybe you haven't taken the Lord's Supper for a while this morning because you feel a sense of shame. I feel a conviction that there are people here this morning who who have been avoiding this because they don't feel that it's appropriate for them to come. They feel too guilty to come. Today is the day to come back, to recognize that Jesus has forgiven your sin, that you're not too far gone, that God still loves you. This is an encounter with Jesus, a tangible physical reminder of the gospel. And so come this morning and and participate in the Lord's Supper if, if you love Jesus. Our prayer team will be up the back to pray for you. If you need to receive Jesus this morning for the first time, if you want to confess, if you have any prayer need at all, have orange lanyards around their neck, they would love to pray for you. And I want to pray for us now, for all of the, the things that we've written on that card as we respond, as we worship. So would you join me? Would you bow your head, close your eyes, lift up those cards in the air? If you would like to participate, Don't be worried about what other people around you are thinking. We want to buy into this. This is your way of saying, 
God, I, I believe this. I want to be a part of this. I love the people on this card. I want them to experience what I've experienced. So hold those cards up now. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for every desire that you've placed in people's hearts this morning to be obedient to this vision. Every good intention that's written down here this morning, I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would help us to do this. To issue an invitation for someone to come and to see, to experience and encounter Jesus. Pray for every single name on these cards, the ones that are held up and those who are too afraid to put their hand in the air and hold it up. Every single name. God, our desire is that every single person listed here would experience your grace. And we know that's not our responsibility. That is your work. And so we commit all of these names to you, God, praying that you would please work powerfully in these people's lives and use us to be the people who would issue an invitation to come and to see. God, we want every single name, every single one of them, to hear two calls. A call to experience Jesus and the irresistible call of grace. Father God, would you empower us in the authority of Jesus, by the power of your spirit, to be a church who would live at the center of your purposes, to make disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples. We need you, God. It's bigger than what we can do. Fill us, we pray, in the powerful name of Jesus. God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's respond. Let's worship.